Hi, I'm Karen Osborne, and this is Living in the Sandwich Zone, a place where each week we talk all things parenting, caregiving, juggling life, and reclaiming joy. Hello, 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 my friends. I am back. I'm back from Africa. I'm back from my dream safari. I'm back recording this little intro for my podcast this week. And I know much to many people's dismay, I'm not going to be podcasting about the Africa trip for a couple of weeks. And that's something I planned ahead intentionally because I wanted to make sure that when I came back from this trip, that I didn't have to feel any pressure. I wanted to build in a little re-entry cushion that allowed me to settle back in and just get readjusted. And so I planned ahead for two weeks of episodes upon my return that would give me that, you know, kind of downtime. So this is a, that's a whole new that's a whole new leaf I'm turning over this planning ahead because generally I'm a total procrastinator. So here's what I did. I planned an episode this week in which I will be sharing my first ever interview as a podcast guest on my friend Leslie McShane's podcast, Redesigning Midlife. I sat down with Leslie last January 2022 to record this interview a week before I launched Living in the Sandwich Zone. And then next week, I'll be airing my interview with caregiving coach Christy Byrne Yates. And Christy and I will actually be speaking on a panel this week on Thursday, March 16th. It's a Sandwich Generation Caregiving webinar hosted by Kensington Senior Living. And I will put the link to register for that in the show notes for today if you want to join us. It'll be at 3 p.m. Pacific. And for any Sandwich Zone caregiver, I think you will find a wealth of information and support from that webinar. But for those of you who are just dying to hear about my safari to Africa, suffice it to say that it was just phenomenal. It exceeded every single possible thing that I had thought it could be. It was magical. It was extraordinary. It was just heart-lifting, heart-opening. It was just so much. It was so much good stuff. So I, as you know from what I've told you about the trip before, it was really hard for me to go but I did. I said yes to myself and I made the commitment and I did it. And I'm so, so, so glad I did because this whole sandwich zone thing, it's easy to get run down and it's easy to overlook and not plan things that are restorative. And this trip restored me. I feel so much better. And I'm going to tell you, I came home and all of my people were okay. And it was hard for them for me to be gone. 
but they also found joy in the fact that I was having such a good time. So, you know, for me, it was the perfect trip because I traveled and enjoyed every moment while I was away. I left the trip not wanting to leave because it was just so good. You know how sometimes you travel and you're just ready to be done. You're ready to go home. You're ready to be back. I didn't get to that point. I was delighted with everything up until the very last minute. And it was a great point at which to leave to come home because I loved it so much. And in coming back, I came back and, you know, things are still challenging on the home front. But having taken two weeks to myself to go off and have this fabulous African adventure, I have come back with better bandwidth. I have come back with greater capacity to handle the hard stuff. And not going to lie, there has been some hard stuff just in the couple days that I've been back. Sadly, at Linney's High School, there was a social media threat of violence that we found out about Monday morning. And that has been really difficult because it has instilled so much fear and panic and anxiety. And so I, you know, really have been thrust right back into life full force. But here's what I can say, having taken some time to myself, I have a greater ability to handle hard better, to handle the hard stuff better. And that is the gift of this trip for me. One thing I really know for sure is that living in the sandwich zone is not easy. And it's not like you just power through to get past a certain point and things just get easier. It's all challenging. It's all hard. And the best thing that we can do, in my opinion, to do the best we can in the sandwich zone is to take care of ourselves. And so this was a huge self-care moment for me to take this trip and go to Africa, and come back feeling restored. And my little podcasting strategy of taking a couple weeks between now and when I podcast about the trip to Africa is also a self-care moment for me to take the pressure off myself, to give myself a buffer, to allow myself to settle back in, and then share with you all the magical things about that trip. So I'm going to go back to my R&R now and let you listen to my friend Leslie McShane interviewing me on her podcast, Redesigning Midlife. Hey friend, welcome to your safe place to begin redesigning midlife. Do you know deep inside that it is time to start focusing on your health and wellness, but have no idea where to start? Do you wake up every morning saying, I'm starting today, and end it with, I'll start again tomorrow? I'm Leslie, and when I turned 50, I felt the same, and longed for some sense of self-control and new confidence in who I was becoming in midlife. 
I finally realized that the change I needed was up to me. In this podcast, you are going to find everything you need to build your healthiest midlife today to live happier and longer tomorrow. So embrace being a beginner again, open your heart to change, and let's get to redesigning. Hi, friend, and welcome to the show today. I try to bring episodes to you that are relevant to what a lot of us are going through in our midlife. And I think today's subject is definitely something that should be given some thought and be discussed. Nobody warns us when we are growing up that more than likely at some point we will move through what is known as the sandwich generation. Now, if you aren't familiar with the sandwich generation, it basically means you've got children below parents above and stressed out caregivers in the middle who spread themselves thin between managing demands from spouses, careers, wealth, and more. In 1981, a social worker named Dorothy Miller hit on a name everybody could agree on for this group of people in this functional life stage. She coined the term sandwich generation to describe adult children of the elderly who are sandwiched between their aging parents and their own maturing children. Now, my guest today is very familiar with being in the sandwich generation. She has a 26-year career as a trial lawyer. She's a wife, a mother of two teenagers. She's a doggy mom, a caregiver to her aging parents, and she is the host of the Living in the Sandwich Zone podcast. So please welcome to this podcast, Karen Osborne. Hey, Karen, how are you doing today? Hey, Leslie, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you are here, even though you are on location today. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I'm not at home. We are recovering from COVID and my kids and I decided that it was time for a field trip because mm. we have finished our isolation, we are free to re-engage with the, with the world, <laughs> and we've been cooped up in our house, and so we are down. My parents have a condominium um, about an hour and 15 minutes south of us, and we're, we're here near the beach to just have a day off. Well, that's lovely, and I told you that you could have rescheduled this <laughs> record, but I'm glad that you're here. Very happy that you decided to sit down with me today. And uh, I just wanted to say from the second that I heard about the podcast that you are launching, I knew I had to have you on to talk about it and living in the sandwich zone in general, because there are so many of us that are there, close to being there, there. Um, yeah, some, uh, some, it was a long time coming and some that happened just kind of yeah. suddenly. Um, and as usual, there is no manual. There are no directions on how to be here and how to to handle this stage of life. And before we start talking about all that, though, I want to hear about you, um, and your path to where you got to be. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to even know where to start, but I think I'm going to start at this point today where, I've gotten to the point in my life where I realize there's got to be more. There's mm. got to be more. Um, I think from the outside looking in, a lot of people would look at my life and think, "God, what a perfect life!" You yeah, know, she's got she's got a loving loving husband. She's got 
two fabulous kids. She's a trial lawyer. I, I do voiceover work on the side. So I kind of have a little side hustle that's very exciting. And, you know, and I think that it's the social media effect. That's what I call that. That's the well, I don't know about the, the social media part. I don't know. I don't call it that because I do <laughs> not have that mastered. <laughs> yeah. But people are looking at your life going, yeah. well, her yeah. life is perfect. Yes. I think that from the outside looking in, it would be easy to say, well, what, what kind of problem does she have? Well, I'm going to tell you that my sandwich zone um, experience was a long time coming. So I'm the last of three kids. My parents, um, my dad's a retired cardiologist. My mom was a registered nurse turned stay at home mom when she had her, you know, the three of us. And um, from a very, very young age, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer or said I wanted to be a lawyer. I remember getting interviewed in sixth grade with that. What do you want to be when you grow up? And they wrote it up in the newspaper that I said I wanted to be a lawyer. At that time, there were no lawyers in our family. It wasn't like I was following in somebody's footsteps. Um, but I think what was always, I gravitated toward it because of the advocacy factor, mm. the presentation factor. And when I went to, I went to UCLA undergrad and when I went, it was tough for me because in addition to wanting to be a lawyer, there was this creative part of me. I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of music, choir, singing that wanted to do musical theater as a major. And so I got to college and I had this like the diverging paths. Mm. And it was that question about, okay, the path I kind of want to take right, and the path I should take. Mm -hmm. And so, or at least people are making you feel like you should take. And you know, what's interesting, Leslie, is I don't, I don't feel like I had external pressure necessarily. Oh, well, it wasn't like good. my, it wasn't like my parents were breathing down my neck saying, oh no, 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 don't do that. There was something in me that was this inner dialogue of that's not responsible. The entertainment industry, that's not what you're supposed to do. And maybe it is a function of looking at my professional parents, you know, saying, okay, mm -hmm. my dad's a doctor, mm -hmm. my mom was a nurse um, and feeling it was, it was a self-created narrative mm. that I felt I should take a more conservative, responsible path. And so I did. And I went from, and I was like, bang, bang, bang. I went from high school to college, college to law school, law school to this job that I've been in for 26 years at the end of this month. And so, um, and that's actually how the voiceover thing came into play is that after I had my kids, my kids are 17 and now a new 16 year old. Um, they're 19 months apart. And after they were born, I got transferred to a non-trial assignment. And so when I'm in trial, I think it's sort of the sweet spot of where my passion and my purpose intersect. Right, because right. trial strategy and trial presentation right. takes a lot of that creative energy to really tell and, and persuade 12 jurors right. um, about the outcome you want them to reach. It's a bit of so, theater. It's a bit of theater. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, 
that always fed that creative side of me. Mm-hmm. Well, when I got transferred after maternity leave, I got transferred to a non-trial assignment. And when I was in that non-trial assignment, after a while, I was like, I'm missing something. I just, I, I feel like I need a creative outlet. Right. And I had sat on the idea. In fact, where I am on location is my parents' vacation condo and our next door neighbors, um, the dad had taken a voiceover class years ago, like in the nineties. And he told me about it. And so since like uh, probably 1999, I had been contemplating the whole thing about voiceover, but as a full-time attorney, I didn't have the wherewithal back in the day to do it because back in the nineties, people were still going out to audition for gigs. And it was a, it was a full-time job just doing the auditioning process. Yeah. And so it sat and it germinated and it percolated and then come 2009, it was still in my head as something I wanted to do. And I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to take a class. So I took a class at my local community college, introduction to voiceover mm-hmm. and away we went, you know, it kind of cracked the door of possibility open. And by then technology had caught up to where you get auditions electronically. Mm-hmm. I record them at home. I send an MP3 out to my right. agent and my agent tells me if I booked it or I didn't book it. And so, so now it's been something I've been doing since, you know, 2009, 2010 as a side gig yeah. that fuels that creative um, outlet for me. Right. Well, it's not only the creative, it's kind of like it can fit into your other schedules because yeah. it can be done whenever, Yeah, yeah. you know, unless and, you're in a session, that's right of thing. Yeah. And, and I have a fabulous agent who knows my shtick and knows that, you know, if I'm, if I'm in trial or doing whatever that mm-hmm. she yeah. puts all the pieces so that they can fit for me. Most of the time, all it takes is that first step. The first yeah. step, you know, they always say the first step is the hardest. There's nothing more true than that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and it's interesting. I look back and part of me says, I can't believe you sat on that idea and didn't do anything for 10 years. Right. And then the other part of me realizes the divine timing of it all. Sure. That had I tried to do it when Mm -hmm. I first got the idea, I couldn't have pulled it off because I couldn't have sacrificed my legal career, raising two little kids, paycheck that I can rely on to take a gamble on it. And And then technology caught up to a point where seamlessly I was able to integrate it into my life and have fun with it. Right. So, but all through it all, I'm going to tell you that all through it all, I'm one of those ones. It was not a light switch moment that I'm like, oh my God, my parents need help. So ever since I have been a parent, my parents have needed assistance in one way or another. Hmm. When my when my daughter was born in 2005, about six months later, after my daughter was born, my dad had to have repeat bypass surgery, heart bypass surgery. And so, I mean, from the get-go, it was just all really, really hard because I had two kids, you know, under two, and I'm trying to help my mom with my dad's recovery and 
the pressure, it's just, it's so easy to lose yourself in it all because working, then you have the working mom thing and the working mother guilt, which I had a lot of. Sure. Um, And then you're trying to help your parents. It was one of those things that I, it was my indoctrination into, into parenting. It was like, okay, this is all like stuff you've got to deal with. Um, And then I'm going to fast forward you to the last couple of years. Um, So one of the things that happened, um, in addition to my parents both having significant health issues, is that my daughter, who was 15, she's a new 16-year-old, began to grapple with extreme anxiety and depression. And it got to the point where she didn't want to be on this earth Mm. and she was contemplating suicide. And so in February of 2020, just before the pandemic closures, we got a call from her school um, telling us we need to get there right now. Um, And she had expressed a very specific suicidal plan Um, and it was that time that my life stopped. Right. Um, yeah. And that was February 5th, 2020. I was called at, um, my husband and I were actually at an appointment together for her when we got the call with one of the doctors that we'd been consulting with. Um, and I was on my lunch break doing that. And I left work and I have not gone back to work in two years. It'll be two years, February 5th, because um, there's nothing like a situation like that, that highlights what's important in your life. Right. That's not only being in a sandwich, Karen, that's like, there, there are no words for those two worlds collapsing in on you. Yeah, it's, um, it has been a really, really, really difficult journey. So not only, you know, through this last year, um, through 2020, through 2021, you know, my daughter's situation started, it predated the pandemic, but then you add on the overlay of the pandemic oh. and the isolation mm. and the withdrawal. Um, and it got to a point where we couldn't, we recognized, all of us recognized that what we were doing just wasn't enough to support her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the most it's the most heartbreaking, excruciating thing as a parent. You know, as a mom, all you want to do is be able to help your kids fix things when they're broken, help them to feel better, get them off and help them launch in an independent way. And, um, you know, it came to a point where I recognized and I was burning my candle I mean, not only at both ends, but in the middle, underneath, like it was all, it was all melting. Um, And 
So it got to the point where we recognized and, and our therapeutic support team said, you know, you got to consider residential care. And that, that was like, I think, you know, when you hear that, and when I heard it as a parent, I'm like, no, 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 that can't be, you know, there's gotta be something, but I was, I was doing anything and everything I could possibly, possibly do to keep my child safe and it wasn't working. So, well, we, we feel as moms, we feel like we can fix everything. Yeah. And that nobody can do a better job than we do. And we have to have our eyes on them all the time to make yeah. sure they're okay. But sometimes you got to let go. And that was the hardest thing. That was the hardest thing. You know, as a lawyer, I think I have a lot of the logic piece is strong for me. Like I can rationalize a lot of stuff, but when you mix that in with the heart component of, mm. you know, my kid hadn't even gone to sleepaway camp. And now we're looking at sending her to, in the middle of a pandemic where everybody's quarantined mm -hmm. to these strangers in this organization that are supposed to care for her. Um, it was, it was something that I can't even put words to how horrific that process was, but also at the same time, as frightening as it was, I knew that we had to do something different because I had been staying up all night. I had, you know, been sleeping in her bed if I needed to. I had been checking on her every half hour, you know, just to make sure that everything was okay. And, and she was still sinking into despair. Um, so we did that. We embarked on, and just to backtrack, I think that one of the other things that I went through thought process wise was, so you have, you know, we're at home and we have this crisis that's brewing and we're trying to manage it on our own. We're being told by professionals, what you're doing isn't enough. You need a higher level of care. And so then you go from, okay, residential really is the highest rung on the ladder. Mm -hmm. And so I kept saying, well, maybe we should just graduate up and see, right. you know, should we go from the bottom up to see if that works? So that's the least restrictive kind of intervention. And ultimately we decided that that wasn't wise because the risk of what if we graduate up and it's not enough and then how far will she have sunk? So we decided to just go to the top of the ladder and she spent five weeks in residential care. Did she want to go? None of us wanted her to go. Okay. She didn't want to go, but she knew she needed to go. Well, and that, yeah, that, that's, that's something right there. And that, to know you know, she I think was, that was the blessing, I suppose, if there was one about that, because it wasn't a situation, and my daughter and I have a uniquely close relationship. We always have, we talk about a lot and we talk about it very candidly. Mm -hmm. And so we, it wasn't like she didn't know it was coming. So I was very 
intentional about telling her, you know, Linz, this is what your therapist is recommending. These are the places that I'm looking into. I want you to talk to them and I want you to ask questions if you have them, because this is what we are looking to find, this residential component that can give you the support and the scaffolding that you need mm-hmm. to get out of this dark hole of despair. Um, so she was, although she didn't have a lot of questions along the way, but she knew what was happening and she had the opportunity when she wanted to, to ask questions and all of that. Um, but it was the hardest, it was the hardest conversation to sit. And I remember it like yesterday, climbing into her bed and telling her, we found this place and they have a spot for you. And it's going to be the scariest thing that we've ever done. And it's going to be really, really, really hard. And we can do hard things. We got to just do it. I had read probably a year before that Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Mm -hmm. And I love that line from her book, we can do hard things because it speaks to the resilience that we have inside us, even though we don't know, we don't know where to tap it to find it, but circumstances bring that out of us. And so. And and again, it's one of those, you know, taking that first step to Mm -hmm. going to the residential place and, and beginning the journey to healing for her. And I was gonna, you know, uh, in our conversation, I was, Actually, you know, I didn't know that about your daughter, but you know, with us in this sandwich zone, you know, a lot of our kids, it's kind of like when we were growing up, there wasn't this big talk about mental health Absolutely. and, you know, there wasn't a pandemic and there wasn't social media and, uh, stress to be successful and to be beautiful and make a ton of money. And, uh, our kids just have this weight. It's extraordinary. The amount of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like in this sandwich zone, us being in this sandwich zone, we really have this responsibility to prepare them. Um, and not only to prepare them, but to also be there if they've gone out and it's not working out for them to create a safe space for them to come back to be in without fear of judgment. Yes. Without question. And I think one of the most powerful parenting lessons that I learned throughout this journey, and I continue to learn and practice today is the power of holding space and listening. Um, because when we're churned up with such despair and those feelings that are so overwhelming and all consuming, sometimes you just need to be in space with someone who can just hold that for you without commenting, without offering advice, without giving you a how-to guide as to what steps to take and really just sit in it, to sit in the muck. Mm -hmm. And I think that my daughter knows now, especially 
We had it, I think, before going in, but this is really magnified for us that we can be together through anything, anything, because yeah, it's, it's a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of validating the emotions, you know, whatever those emotions are, whether it be fear, whether it be panic, whether it be anxiety, um, to just be a mirror for that and say, I see you, I see you. And I know you're struggling and, and there, there is comfort in there yeah. and slowly, slowly, I've found that she settles when she's seen and when she's heard and when you understand and you're not there to fix it for her or tell her what to do, then she's able to calm her system and find her land legs. And she's learned a whole host of coping strategies. And I think that was a big part of residential care Mm -hmm. and therapeutic support um, that she has now in her toolbox that she can go to. And we do a lot of deep breathing. We do a lot of, a lot of um, sharing and holding space and all of those things. And, you know, and I think those coping things that she learned from them, even if you had tried to teach those to her, she would not have picked them up like she did from someone It's else. funny that you say that because when she went into residential care and they started teaching her certain things. Now, I have kind of been on a journey of mindfulness and mindful self-compassion, mindful-based stress reduction. So I did have a wealth of things that I did Mm -hmm. try to teach her. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because she got to residential care and they're teaching her a lot of the same things. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. My mom told me about that. (laughs) But so she was listening. Well, she heard you. She may not have been listening. When the or listening, but not ready, the teacher appears, right? So sometimes the parent, we know that we're not, you know, there's just, there's just automatic parental resistance when it sure. just comes from a parent where your kid's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think, I think what you said, I think, um, that the most important things that we can do for our children as they're growing up, no matter what age they are, uh, whether they live at home or whether they don't live at home is, uh, number one, listen to them. Yeah. Listen. Sure. Really, really listen. Really, really listen. And number two, make sure that they know that they are loved no matter what. Unconditionally. Yeah. I mean, your number one job isn't to get them into the best school or to make sure that they're popular yeah. or whatever. It's it's to listen to them and to love them. And then everything yeah. else will work itself Fall out. Fall into place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I think the pandemic drove that home for us too, because our kids had to go through so much and so much new stuff and heavy stuff and scary stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember just kind of saying, look, they were doing remote school and, you know, my son was getting ready to apply to college and all of this stuff. And I was like, here's the bottom line, your mental health and well-being, that's the goal right now. That's the goal. If we get that, and we keep that steady and stable, everything else is gravy. Everything else is gravy. You know, I could just see the toll that that all of this has taken. All pressure, yeah. All of it. And then also, you know, it's kind of like what we started with in terms of my journey, that self-imposed narrative in my head, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. 
and he has that same voice. And if there's something I could do as a parent to help my kids understand that that voice is just a voice. It is not like the truth, the end all be all. We have agency to say, okay, I hear you sit down and let me just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Put your ego in there screaming at you. Yeah. Just push it aside. Yeah. But, but it's funny. Um, you're, you know, you've talked about your two children and my two children are the, are the same. They're completely different, completely different. So that's another facet of, Oh yeah. (laughs) Of parenthood and of being in the sandwich zone is that, you know, you're having to deal with, you know, these two children that are completely different. You, you think that you've got everything down with one and then the second one comes along and they're completely different. Oh yeah. Ours are, <laughs> ours are completely different too, but they're thick as thieves, which is a, a, a great thing. My father-in-law used to call them the mafia because like, <laughs> you know, if you the did one mafia. to one, yeah, <laughs> the other one was going to come blazing for you. Um, but it's, you know, one of the benefits though, I would say about our sandwich zone living is that you know, my parents live a mile and a half from us. So our kids have had the benefit of really having a lot of time with our parents. In fact, when I went to back to work after uh, maternity leave, our babysitter watched my kids at my parents' house. So my parents didn't have the responsibility of running after them and doing all the things, but they had that time together when they were really little. Um, And I also- that's oh, very special. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just such a gift because, you know, that whole dropping off to daycare to strangers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived it with the residential care portion, but I can't even imagine as your itty bitty infant, you know, I, I got to hand them over to people I knew loved them as much as I loved them. Yeah. My and mom so tells this My mom tells a story about because my children had to go to daycare and there was one time that she came to town um, and was picking my infant son up at daycare uh, or know what it was. She was dropping him off at daycare for me. So she went into this building and she says that she, you know, put him down, he's put his little carrier down and she started to walk away. And she said, I just remember just feeling terrible for leaving him there with these people that I didn't know. Yeah. She said, I cried all the way to yeah. the car. I said, now you know how I feel every yeah. single day. Oh yeah. That mom guilt boy, that mom guilt is strong yeah. and it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the, the blessings that I've had is that my mom is still around and just like my daughter and I are close my mom and I are close. And so we've had those conversations, you know, like coming up, we, my son's about to go to college and I've had the benefit of having that conversation with my mother. Like, what was it like for you when Ricky went to college? You know, Mm -hmm. my brother was the eldest Mm -hmm. and, you know, my parents are immigrants from Jamaica. So they didn't know the, the, us american way of going to college and you know they came here and went to school but it wasn't the same thing so they didn't have the navigation of you know the spring break before you're a senior you usually go and tour the colleges and see all this stuff and all (laughs) this stuff um 
but you know, we've had these conversations about what it was like for her to drive and drop my brother off at college and all the emotions that that brought up for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it is helpful preparation to have those discussions. And it's a lot, honestly, Leslie, it's a lot of why I want to do this podcast to talk about these things that can be so emotionally churning um, and give people a landing space to know they're not alone and to understand that these challenges are that there's a space to talk about it and to get guidance and resources. And whether it be a child struggling with mental health, whether it be a parent who's nearing end of life and dealing with home health or hospice or all of those things, I think so often we don't talk about things and it's that silence and that kind of holding it all in that mm-hmm. makes the experience so much more painful mm-hmm. and more difficult. And so my hope is with the podcast to kind of talk about the things that I've gone through, the challenges I've faced, the resources I've stumbled upon that right. have helped to give me a tether to hang on to and kind of ground me in, in where I am. And, and hopefully that'll be helpful for somebody else who's listening. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about that sandwich zone a little bit because you know we've talked about our children. We've talked about your children, and and like I said, you, you know your sandwich zone has been very long, and for some yeah. people it just happens all of a sudden, like they're just yeah. They Mine get surprised is like a twelve foot yeah right right <laughs> a twelve then, foot grinder, <laughs> <laughs> and then some people are just thrown into it or just yeah. you know thrown for a loop a loop. Um, and they're having to have conversations with their parents that they never thought they would have to yes. or deal with situations they never thought they would have to. Um, but I would imagine that the first thing that you have to deal with is talking to your parents, but maintaining that you are still the child yeah, and that they are the parent and not the other way around and how you're going to navigate this time. Yeah. And that is a fine line to walk. Um, Because in many ways, I do feel like I am parenting my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when you factor in kind of the technological changes that they're just not comfortable with or used to. And now we've gone from in-person visits to doctors to telehealth visits with doctors and setting up the doxy link and, you know, just, just, um, on Thursday or no Monday time is just a blur uh, <laughs> on Monday. My mom had a, a follow-up. She had major spine surgery in November, 2020, and she's been having continued issues. And so she had a telehealth visit and you know, what is sort of second nature to us to log on and sign in and make sure your phone has access to your microphone and your camera and this it really is a painstakingly challenging right. process that's super, yeah. it's like not scary in the ah, kind of way, but for her, it's like so intimidating. Oh yeah. So intimidating. So there I am, especially, you know, I'm COVID quarantined or keeping my distance uh-huh. and I'm trying to walk her through on the phone as she's on her cell phone. So I'm landlining her and trying to walk her through, get it all done. <laughs> 
but I think your point is really, really important because there definitely I have um, been very keenly aware of the fact that I don't want to trample my parents' toes in right. terms of squashing their independence already, especially with my dad. My dad was a super independent guy and he just turned 86 in December. And if you rewind to January, 2021, he, he has a, in, in addition to Parkinson's and his cardiac history and his stroke history and everything else going on, he has an eye condition that has stripped him of all of his peripheral vision. So he has basically pinhole vision oh. and can barely see. So he's for all intents and purposes, blind for doing most things. Yeah. But he still was able to navigate his home. My parents live in a two-story house. He was able to get up and down the stairs. He had his little Fitbit on and he would go into the backyard that's grass and he would, he had like, like marched a little, a little loop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He marched the trail circle until he would hit three miles. And every day he was walking three miles. And then he had uh, an issue where he went into atrial fibrillation, which is your heart goes out of rhythm mm -hmm. and they had to shock him back into rhythm and they gave him a medication that really mucked with his system. And that was like the light switch moment for my dad from going from independent or mostly independent to being completely reliant and in need of care for almost every single activity of daily living. Mm. And so I do recognize. So did that, you see that or did he see that? Uh, we all saw it. So, yeah, because that's we the thing. It's kind of like, it. you know, like for me, my, my mom is still in, in pretty good health. And so is, is her husband. But at some point there has to be a realization that yeah. they, okay, they, they need a little help or yeah. we need to start having some talks about driving or yeah i mean wh when when should we be looking for these signs you know this is this is the thing i just want us as a society to normalize death and normalize that things will change and people will need more help as they age mm -hmm. generally speaking i'm not i don't buy into that oh when i grow old everything's going to fall apart and i'm going to be decrepit i'm going to die but I do, I do know that, that things change and capabilities, you know, wane. And um, I think that if we are able to start talking about things, I would like the conversation to start when your parents are in your, in their prime, right? Mm -hmm. um, because when they're in control, they're at a much better place in life to tell you what they want. Right. how they want to live, you know, what their plans are. It's really important to have the conversation about finances because elder care, you know, I want my parents to be able to stay at home and hopefully live out their days in their own home. For many, that's not possible. Right. For many, you end up having to look to professional assisted living facilities or retirement communities or nursing care and that can get to be super expensive so oh, i think having that expensive having the conversations early on and planning and knowing 
because I think it's the not knowing when you go into it blind. If you have the conversation ahead of the crisis, you are so much better set right. to plan when you're under the gun of, oh my God, this is like, we've had my dad lapsed into a catatonic state and he wasn't able to articulate to us what he wanted or what, mm -hmm. what was going on. But thankfully we'd had a lot of those conversations. Yeah. And so we knew, and we knew he had a DNR, a do not resuscitate order. And so it was, it's a real reckoning with mortality boy. Yeah. When, you know, my dad was hospitalized many, many times this last year. And there was one where he had a cardiac issue in the hospital and they are caring for him. But we as a family know that there is a DNR order. And so we are like holding hands, waiting mm -hmm. to know because he does not want extraordinary life-saving measures. Mm -hmm. And that when it gets to that point, it's really hard as a family, at least it has been for our family. We know that that's what he has told us in his best days that he does not want to have right. some heroic life-saving measure. But when you get that close yeah. and you think you're about to lose your loved one, there is that urge to say, do it, do it, do it, do the CPR, do whatever you're going to do, do the chest compressions. Um, and that really is actually going against what my dad would want. And so we really had to restrain ourselves to just <sighs> dig deep and breathe deep and just know that whatever was meant to happen was going to happen. And, and he's still with us. So here we are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yes, definitely put those plans into place. Absolutely. When you're in Have the prom. conversations because that's when you have options or can investigate the options because when yeah. it gets down to it and there is no time to spare i mean you're you're grasping at straws and then basically. and then ask a lot of questions yeah ask a lot yeah, of questions that's your time from, to ask questions right from your of your parents ask a lot of questions from doctors care right. providers um let me tell you there's a whole lot about Medicare I don't know and kind of have a better inkling on now because who, who knew? Who knew? Right. Like right now we're in this zone where he was getting home health services, occupational and physical therapy, but then had a hospitalization. And who knew that after any hospitalization, they have to reevaluate you. And then there's a two month waiting period Whoa. where you can't get any services. And so that's what we're in right now. And it's a, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. ask a lot, a lot of questions. And um, yeah, there's a it, lot there. There's just, there's just so much that goes into taking care of your aging parents. Oh, I mean, yeah. and, and you don't know what you don't know until you're exactly, in the middle. Exactly. And you know, it's, and it's having the presence of mind. I think one of my coping skills and it's probably almost like sort of a dissociation kind of thing. One of my coping skills is when I'm in crisis, I go to the, okay, this is what I got to do. I got a list. I got, this is a, da -da. I brainstorm a bunch of questions, you know, like that's almost my way of not having to deal and feel with all of the pain of the moment. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's effective, <laughs> but it's also deferring having to process all the, the emotion part of it. 
The other thing I would say is, especially if you have siblings, um, to really have this conversation with your siblings. Yes, that can be hard. It's hard. And there's a lot of childhood baggage that kind of comes up when you're, when you're dealing and you're, you've got this mortality thing looming, and then you've kind of gotten like the roles that we've each played in childhood. Yeah. A Mm -hmm. lot of it. And Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful that my siblings, um, that we, at least in crisis come together super, super well, and we each kind of have a strong suit. Um, so it's a good dynamic. Um, but there have been some, woo, there's some tough moments. Oh, I bet. Well, and that's another reason for parents when they're <laughs> in their prime to, to make some of the bigger decisions yeah, between sure. siblings, who's power of attorney, who's going to be executor. That estate planning, man, let yes, me tell you. And you're, you know, key. so my husband and I are both lawyers. Um, and so my husband actually works in the probate area. And so, you know, part of our proactivity is that he has seen what he has seen coming through. And it's like, you don't want to deal with that. It's like, you know, so we know a lot about putting things in trust and we know a lot about, you know, my mom is actually, both of my parents, I think, um, have been forward thinking in terms of their deaths Mm -hmm. and, you know, they've actually picked songs and hymns that they want at their service and things like that, which, you know, some people may think that that's really morbid and, and horrible to do, but no, as but a you child, don't want to be I'm asking so those grateful. questions at the end. Yeah. I am so yeah. grateful to know that they have sort of an outline for us as to what they, they want, want and how they want to be celebrated. Right. Right. And you said it right. Celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. Not mourned. Yeah. There'll be grief. And, um, and I get that. And, you know, I think that that grief, you know, what, what do they, what's the saying is grief is just love without a place to go. Yeah. There's a lot of love, you know, and, and, um, I will be, I'm, I don't think any of us are ever prepared, whether this comes on suddenly or Mm -hmm. it's been a long time coming. I don't think any of us are ever ultimately prepared for that final moment, that, that finality. You never think it's going to, you never think it's coming. No. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what the world's going to be like when yeah. your mom's not there anymore. Right. Until she's not. Right. Or your dad or yeah. sister or uncle or yeah. And it's funny, you know, I think that the voiceover thing has been, it's come in handy for me because I've taken the opportunity when I got my gear, you know, I'd go up to that, their house and record them mm-hmm. and ask them questions about their life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have, I'm like, mom, can you call? It was, <laughs> I can't even remember what stress I was going through, but you know, it was one of those things like my mom has been there for me in so many ways in times of crisis and woe. And I was like, can you just call me back on my cell phone and leave me an encouraging message that I can save? <laughs> and so I have that. Now I have it downloaded. And you know, whenever that time comes that she's not here, I'll have that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, I was telling you before we started recording that my mother-in-law is ill, very ill yeah. with cancer. And, you know, one of her biggest worries is that she's not going to be here for my, for the birth of my niece's mm. second child this summer, yeah. or yeah. she won't be here to see my children get married. And, yeah. you know, my big plan 
is to is to do that kind of recording with her to be able to send yeah. a message and to let her know now that you will be there yeah you'll be yeah. there you'll have that you know i'll be able to share that so yeah that i think that that is definitely something that um being in the sandwich zone we should we should do uh record yeah with your parents um i think i've, I've heard so many people say after loss oh i can't remember their voice i can't oh. remember the sound of their voice yeah and so i think that that was um a catalyst for me to just capture sure things now yeah sure Okay, so we would be remiss in talking about the sandwich zone if we didn't talk about ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, <laughs> you're the star of the sandwich zone. You're right <laughs> in the middle. Oh, and yeah. it's, 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 I can imagine um, that it's so easy to get lost. Yeah. Um, and to be to just have this stuck feeling in the middle yeah for sure for sure i will tell you that i mean it's it plays into how this podcast journey happened and started um is that i got to a point where i just lay down at night and i'm like i am living my life everybody except mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. this can't be it this can't there's got to be more than this and so i think it really has shaken me up in a way that i was so worn down i was so depleted that i wasn't even able to care for the people around me right. at the level i wanted to care for them sure and um i I'm a big, I kind of, you know, I used to not be a self-help kind of girl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> but then, yeah, that was a light bulb moment where I was yeah. like, oh yeah. And the first, the first self-help book I read was given to me by a friend of mine, um, Cheryl Richardson's book, The Art of Extreme Self-Care. Mm. And I read that and I was like, yeah, oh Yeah. And then as all of these pressures kind of closed in on me, I heard somebody say, um, you know, you always hear the oxygen mask one, put your mask on right, first. Right, before you take it. And, so you take and honestly, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I was taking this caregiver self-compassion class and the presenter said, stop setting yourself on fire to keep others warm. And that was my moment where I was like, that's mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing things to my detriment mm -hmm. to care for everybody around me. And unless I stop and start taking care of myself, there isn't going to be me to do this stuff. Right. Um, and so I've really put an emphasis on taking care of myself, finding things that light me up and doing however infinitesimal they are to right. do something little every day that brings me joy and to care and invest in myself like I am so invested in in my family and the people I love and so that's how I came to take this class because when 
when Kathy Heller was doing the five day podcasting thing Mm -hmm. at one point, you know, it got to, you know, the doors are closing. This is the last time to register. And I stayed up that night. I was like, I kind of want to do it, but man, it's a lot of money. I kind of want to do it. (laughs) God, I don't know if I can do it right now. I've taken so many classes. I I don't want to waste the money. Well, the deadline came, the deadline went. I Mm -hmm. didn't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. But of course, the next day, yeah, there was another opportunity. There's there's another option for you. Oh, those marketers. I know she's, she's glorious at it, man. Yeah. Um, Because it hits me in my heart, you know, so she, she had us do a meditation where she said, okay, imagine where you could be one year from today. Mm -hmm. And she went through this meditation and And I was like, yeah. And then she said, okay, now imagine yourself just where you are a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And that is what sealed the deal. Yeah. That was like, I don't want to feel like this 10 years from now. I don't want to be stuck here 10 years from now. You have to get to that point where you're like, I don't want to feel like this for one second longer. And so I started doing stuff. And this is this whole thing is like out of my comfort zone. This is not my wheelhouse. But you know what? It's it's fun and I like it. And I like the people that I've met. I like the connections that I've built. I like the conversations that I'm having. And for that, it stirs joy for me. Sure. And so um I and think you're, that and you're doing that creative thing that you like. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's it's inward focused, but it's Mm going to have an outward benefit to everybody around me. Right. Exactly. So you are building a fire, but it's not you anymore. Exactly. I'm getting kindling from other places. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're standing, you're standing around that fire too. And that's exactly, that's what we, we have to do for sure. So tell me a little bit more about your, your podcast. I mean, what's the, is it just going to be you? Are you going to be bringing Uh, in people? What are you doing? You know what? It's going (laughs) to. Hop on and come along for the ride because <laughs> it'll be what it is. I think the first couple episodes will be just solo episodes, letting people know who I am, what I'm about and why, you know, why, why this, mm-hmm. why, why this format? Um, but yeah, no, then I expect to talk to people and hear, share stories and share resources and just talk about some of the challenges. Like, like I'm talking about the, the home health thing. And, you know, we, we had a, a conversation and and had to reckon with, is it time for hospice? Is it not time for hospice? All of these things where I think it will help. I think it will help to hear how other people have navigated those conversations and approached those issues. And so I think it's going to be a mix. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be a mix of solo stuff, reflections, whatever, and conversations. And, and my hope is to create a community. And I created a little Facebook group where hopefully we can have more interaction and network support. Sharing your resources and information and yeah. Yes. And sounding boards. And Mm -hmm. also, also going back to that thing of holding space to just have the ability to talk to other people that are having similar experiences and you know how they kind of just get you. Right. So yeah. So that's my hope is, is that it is, there is much of it that I think will be therapeutic for me in my sure. own journey. Sure. And at the same time, my hope is that 
it will give a lifeline and a landing spot to other people to help them with their journey. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I say this all the time, you know, I, I tell people that every time that I talk to somebody on the podcast, it's like a mini therapy session for me. <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> so it's like free therapy. It so is. You're, you're, you are yes. my therapist today. <laughs> well, I'll expect my copay <laughs> within 14 days. <laughs> I'll get on that. <laughs> the checks in the mail, right? Checks in the mail. That's right. <laughs> so I want to I want to jump back because there is somebody that I forgot to talk about in this whole mm -hmm. sandwich zone generation, and that is our spouse, our partner, yeah, yeah. Um, our significant other, and how all of this affects not only them but our relationship with them. And yeah. um, because I'm sure it is a extremely difficult place to be because uh, as the significant other, I mean, you don't want to say you're spending too much time with the kids or right. you're spending right. too much time with your parents. Right. Uh, what about me? What about me? What about me? Yeah, it is a, it is a difficult dynamic. And I will tell you that our... Um, we have competing sandwiches. You know, my husband, we're in California, but his family and his parents are in Seattle. Mm. And at the same time that all of this stuff that I'm describing has been going on with our little foursome mm -hmm. and my family of origin, he also has had caregiving issues with his parents oh my. and his mom, you know, remotely he had to navigate with his siblings placement in uh, an assisted living facility for his mom during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, the health issues being in and out of the, the hospital, um, you know, lots, I mean, it's just not just my sandwich, you know, right. we've got, it's, we've you got a, a buffet. Decker. We've right. got a buffet of, of right. sandwiches happening. Sandwich and platter. I think that, <laughs> I think that, you know, the stress, I'm going to say, at least for us, interestingly enough, I mean, like every couple, I think we have, we had our challenges before all of this stuff started to happen. Sure. But, but these are just magnifying glasses on core stuff. Sure. But also, I think that there is a tendency, there's a tendency to sort of go into triage mode, where your couplehood is kind of just sacrificed, because it's like, you know, we got it. We got to put this fire out and that fire out. And, and how are we going to, we got to zoom with the siblings about the care thing and this and that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really easy to lose the priority of honoring your connection as a couple. Mm -hmm. And um, well, you live that under that assumption that it's always going to be there. And you can't assume that. You right. just can't. And I think if anything, like when I, I think of our kids going out into the world, I think it's that whole thing. If you, you want to find someone that's in that foxhole with you, where you've got each other's back, no matter what. And mm -hmm. first, the ultimate first priority is each other. And then together you face the world. And I think that the the pressures of life, not just sandwich generation life, but life in general. I think it's easy 
it's easy to kind of just fall in love and think that love is going to carry you through the end of time. Yeah. And it takes a lot of intentionality yeah. to be there for each other in ways that support each other through the journey of life and to always come back to each other and how you're supporting each other so that you can face the world. Yeah. And uh, I have this saying in my house that communication is key. Oh, yeah, for sure. And not only that, but honest communication. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to feel the feelings that you're having. And uh, I think it's very important to express those feelings so that it can be yeah. discussed and yeah. worked out. And I think that, you know, that's been a challenge for us because if you can't already tell, I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I talk things through. And, you know, my husband is not. He internally processes his stuff. It's a man and thing. And so it's a man where, thing. That, where that can be problematic is that for me, who needs to talk it through and wants to have the other person participate in that, the mm -hmm. talking through, for someone who internally processes, it's not that he's necessarily not dealing with the issues, but he's dealing with it in, in, in a way that where I feel like, is he dealing with it? Because he's not engaging me we, you know, to talk through mm -hmm. this stuff. And so there's that tendency to feel like, alone in mm. it all. Mm -hmm. And so going back to your communication is key, I would echo that a thousand percent because even if there's that internal processing versus verbal processing, you gotta get to a point. You gotta get to a point where you know each other. You know, The Five Love Languages was a great book for us because it, for those of you who don't know that book, the five love language kind of, it breaks down how you like to receive love. And I know that I'm a quality time person. You spend quality time with me and that makes me feel warm and fuzzy and loved. Mm -hmm. And my husband is an act of service guy. He like does things for me to show his love. But what you realize in that dynamic is that when he's off doing his act of service, I feel like he's not spending quality time. And yeah. so, and so it's one of those things where it's not that he doesn't love me. It's just the way that he does show love for me is different than the way I want, want to, to receive, receive it. it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us, it's been, can we, we got to learn to be bilingual. Right. We got to learn we got to learn to speak the other person's language right. and show them love in the way that they can receive it. Right. Because um, love isn't takes, selfish. That takes a lot of intentionality. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how can people find you and your podcast? So my podcast, Living in the Sandwich Zone, is available on Apple on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or anywhere you like to listen to your podcasts. <laughs> and um, I've, I've transitioned to kind of getting active on Instagram. And so I do do some stuff 
podcast related there. So I am at karen.e.osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N-E, know you. Um, okay. And Instagram. I'll put all this in the show notes so yeah. you can click so, on it. Yeah. So we're launching next Wednesday. Um, we're launching on, on January 12th. And um, so, yeah, it'll be a wild ride. Honestly, it is... I, I don't have um, any crazy expectations about what it should be like. I'm just going to roll with it and see where it leads me. That's the best way to do things. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you have, you have a plan and you don't get to that exact place, then you feel like you have done something wrong, yeah. even though where you ended up might be even better. Yeah. Just so, got to let it, let it. Destinations unknown. There you go. Hop aboard. <laughs> All right. So I have one like little last question for you. Sure. And I ask this usually uh, of every guest that I have on this podcast is mainly for women over 50. Mm-hmm. And we are in a weird, we cross that weird little barrier into 50 land. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of us struggle with what we're doing. Like, like you said, is this it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, our kids are getting ready to leave, you know, maybe we're dealing with aging parents and we've kind of yeah. lost ourselves and you know a lot of women just they don't know what to do um yeah. who they are anymore what's your best advice oh my best advice um i think my best advice is to be willing to believe in the possibility of something different and i for me i know with a certainty that my life is not over. (laughs) I feel like there is so much ahead of me. Um, And to sort of ditch the expectations and go for the ride. Because I think that for me, um, through much of my life, kind of fixed set expectations as to what success looks like or what, you know, gratification would feel like. I think that those change and morph over time. And so for me, I am wanting to embrace expansion and openness and the endless possibilities that are out there and, um, and be willing to see what happens. So, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Thanks yeah. so much for being with me today, Karen. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks Even for on location. <laughs> I know on location, on vacation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was lovely. Well, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Likewise. Take good care. I can't thank Karen enough for being with me today. And not only that, I thank her so much for her authenticity and truth of how she is navigating her own sandwich zone. You know, it would be so easy to avoid talking about it. And I think her story helps all of us know that we aren't alone and that there is support out there. I'm going to quickly give out a couple of the takeaways from our conversation. There were so many um, because we, you know, we really did focus on everybody in the circle in the sandwich zone. So here are just a couple. Number one, sometimes as parents, we have to accept that we can't give our kids everything they need and we have to be willing to look outside of the home for help. Number two, It's a fine line to walk with your parents to maintain that you are the child and they are the parent when you are having to take care of issues for them and with them. 
You do not want to step on their independent toes. Number three, being in the middle of the sandwich zone, it's easy to feel like you're living your life for, for everyone else, but you need to put yourself first sometimes. Stop setting yourself on fire to make others warm. And number four, being in the sandwich zone can put so much stress on you and your partner. It just becomes a huge magnifying glass on issues. You are constantly in triage mode, putting out fires all around you. It's easy to lose the priority of honoring your connection as a couple. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you have enjoyed Karen's story. I'm going to put all of her information in the show notes so you can find her there. And know that if you are existing in this sandwich zone, however intense it is for you right now, that you are not alone. You are never alone, especially if you reach out and find other people like yourself. And I hope that if you do your find yourself in your own sandwich zone, that you will do what Karen says and practice some self-care at this time. You know, stop setting yourself on fire to make sure everyone else is warm. And the area that I hear most often that women like us have trouble focusing on during this time is prioritizing ourselves and our health. You know, we all know that we need to be taking better care of ourselves in order to be able to continue to care for our children, our parents, our spouses. Um, But a lot of us just don't know how or have the faintest idea of where to even begin. And that's where I want to help. In January 2023, I am making available a 30-day self-directed program called Midlife in Motion. Now, this 30-day fitness and nutrition program, I lead you through gaining clarity of where you are now and where you want to go. I want to find out what is holding you back and then teach you simple nutrition action items, as well as give you low to moderate cardio workouts and resistance training workouts, because you know that you have been ignoring the fact that you need to lift some weights. The whole program is designed with you in mind, in midlife, and in the sandwich zone. You know, we all need a little help getting started. So I hope that you will join in this program and get the support and accountability that you need to begin to or continue to put yourself first for a change. Now we have a private Facebook group and it's a support group. It's an accountability group and there are going to be other women in it that are doing this program and they're going to be there to give you the support that you need. And I'm going to be there as well, cheering you on every second of the way. So you need to make sure to get all the information about it. It's at my website, lesliemcshane.com. And I look forward to enjoying some time together. I think it would be great. Also make sure to follow this podcast and Karen's podcast as we're here to serve you and your needs in this time of life. And make sure to rate and review the shows so that you know when new episodes are coming out and it 
throws our podcast into the path of other people who are looking for this kind of support and information and education. Until next time, make sure to show as much compassion to others as you yourself need today. Because when you do that, you instantly make the world a better place. All right, everybody. Till next time. See ya. Bye. I hope you liked me mixing it up this week and playing an interview of somebody interviewing me for a change as I settle back into my little sandwich zone. I am linking all of Leslie's contact information in the show notes for this episode. So please do go find and follow Leslie and Redesigning Midlife because Leslie puts out fantastic information that is just entertaining, informative, and inspiring. All right, friends, until next week, stay well and go out and do something that brings you joy. I'm Karen Osborne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living in the Sandwich Zone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and share it with a friend. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, one of the best ways you can support me is rating and reviewing the podcast there. You can follow me on Instagram at karen.e.osborne, that's O-S-B-O-R-N-E. Or if you want to become an insider, a club sandwich member, click the link in the show notes and join my private Facebook group. Until next time, remember to add yourself to your caregiving list and take a moment today and do something that brings you joy.